Hi, hi, hi. Graham Norton here on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose Podcast. What are we waiting for? Fashion icon Trini Woodall is chatting about her book, Fearless. Talk sports, latest signing Jeff Stelling gets us warmed up ahead of his first day on The Breakfast Show. It wouldn't be Christmas time without show chef Martha, and she has some spelt chocolate and cardamom rolls for you to tuck into. And Maria McCurlin, the nation's agony aunt, is here, ready to solve two of your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Happy Ooh, Sunday. Happy yes, Sunday good to morning to you, sir. How are you? I'm very perky. How are you? Yeah, good. I, I ventured out yesterday into the big wide world, having been poorly for a long time. Um, I did signings of my book. I'm sorry for all those people going, shut up about that book. I did <laughs> signings and it was all at Popsicle and at Hastings Books. And it was so Christmassy and fristy, frosty, sunny skies. And then I went to Harbour Nurseries Christmas Fair and went mad because I haven't been out spending any money. And because Uh-oh. it's my birthday on Saturday, Graham, yes, I'm just reminding you, I bought myself jewels and a vase, Christmas vase and silk pyjamas. I am ready for the holiday season. Marvellous. You know what? I've already got you a gift. Oh my goodness. Is it a vase or some jewels or some silk pyjamas? No. You know what it is. Oh, I do. We're going to yes. see Cabaret. There you go. Yeah. That's right. Next Saturday. Mm. You know, for those people yesterday who said, you know, I was talking about that problem, making memories instead of getting stuff. And someone rang in and say, uh, texted in to say, oh, don't Maria tell them to go and see Sunset Boulevard. It's so sad. I cried. That's really horrible. I didn't say make happy memories, did I? <laughs> I just said make memories. You know, I'm not going to differentiate. You remember the, the sad? Yeah. Yeah, if the whole family's sobbing together in a row, that is a memory. There you go. I think that's Lovely. very unifying, frankly. They're all sobbing <laughs> about their lives. Um, I, did you watch Strictly last night? No, probably you know, not. I you didn't, were busy. I didn't see, I didn't see Strictly, but I know that Nigel went and I was thinking, oh, is Angela Scanlon out the back lacing up her shoes? Is she, yeah, is she back on the she ice? Put, she put some grease on the floor, didn't she? Ready for him <laughs> to slip over and break his rib. That was very sad. I mean, Strictly in chaos, celebrity big brother, no, celebrity get me out of here in chaos. It's all chaos for those, you know, showbiz yeah, what do, people. What do they do? Is somebody going to go home tonight? No, they're, they're talking tonight. I mean, talk about scrabbling together at the last minute. They're talking about the dances they will do in the final because obviously everybody has to up their game and do two dances. So it'll just be, you know, the show dance by the professionals, which is always fabulous. And the last night, the Dave Arch and his singers were really, because it was musicals week, they blew it out the water. I mean, I don't think they get enough credit, that's all I'm saying. And I would like to see them in shot occasionally because they are amazing. But, they do do but it was a very good show they... and everyone danced well. They do that one kind of shot that looks like it's done on a ring camera where <laughs> they, they wave up at it. We do see them. I know, but sort of, you know, I feel they're in the background. Dave Arch gets thanked, but they are really top of their game singers and uh, they could do a tour themselves. I think the Dave Arch band did actually do the Royal Variety performance there. I think they did get out of the BBC <laughs> Strictly Come Dancing studio and um, showed their wares elsewhere. And went to the Royal Albert Hall. Yes. That's where it was, for that is indeed where it was. Were you invited to that? I was not, but I know that Cher left my uh, television show and hopped on a motorbike and dashed off to the uh, Royal Variety Show where she's performing. I believe it's airing on the 17th of December. 
Well, there you are all over it today. Um, lots of love for you on the twits, by the way. So many messages, Graham. I know you've left the Twitter sphere for social media, but so many messages saying, surely the best Graham Norton show ever on Friday night. All the awards, brilliant bookers, brilliant Graham Norton as ever, who treats famous people and real people with the same amount of respect. I thought that was just lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I know what they mean. Uh, yeah. But you don't treat horrible, me with that amount of respect. Horrible, I'm just horrible with I've everyone. Been, why have I been left out on that? <laughs> and I loved you this morning saying, look, I'm a chat show host. I love everything. And I was thinking, I'm so glad that I know Graham and he can tell me all the things that he really hated. <laughs> and then I must keep it a secret forever. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but you know, but if you see my name on something, then I did like it. I think that that's fair. Yes, that's fair. Yes, yes. And this you time know. next week, we will be getting ready in a nervous quiver to do our chitty chatty show on stage at the Fortune Theatre. <laughs> uh, I ha I hate to break it to you, I will not be getting ready at this time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I will. Me. I like to do my vocal warm ups and some contemporary dance. Yes. And. Uh, I'm feeling, Maria, this time next week, we'll be on the radio again. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's what happens. That's what happens at this time, every time. <laughs> uh, I tell you, get some letters together and we'll get to Graham's Guide. Virgin Radio. Here we go. First problem um, today, Graham. Dear Graham and Maria, about 14 years ago, my wife left me. We have two daughters who were in their early teens at the time. After their mother left, I was sole carer for the girls, and they have not seen their mum since. It was the making of me. The girls could be challenging, both of them on the spectrum, but I would do everything for them and be there whenever they needed me. They both thrive, thrived and were the first pupils from their school to go to Cambridge. My business started doing very well, and while we never had a lot when they were growing up, I am now in a position that money will never be a worry. The girls are now in their mid-twenties and a couple of years ago I met a wonderful woman. We married last year. While the girls were happy for me, tensions soon developed. My daughters seemed to resent having to share me with my wife and my wife found them hard work. It all came to a head last Christmas where an argument broke out between my wife and the girls over the way they treat me. World War Three broke out and my daughters walked out. Since then, they have refused to speak to me. They gave me an ultimatum that it was her or them. I do, of course, love my wife and leaving her was never going to be an option. My friends and family are universally appalled at their behaviour and have told me that I was a brilliant dad and neither my wife nor I deserve to be treated this way. That's all well and good, but I miss my daughters desperately. My wife has been very supportive and despite how hard this has been for us, we're closer than ever. Christmas is coming and I am dreading it. I used to be Mr Christmas, but now I can't even stand the sight of a tree and just long for January the 2nd. How can I ever get my girls back? And that is from Donald in Gateshead, which touches my heart, Donald in Gateshead. Uh, how awful for you. And listen, you did a brilliant job, Donald. You know, your daughters were so young when suddenly, out of nowhere, they lost their mum and they only had their dad. Uh... <laughs> Of course it's going to be difficult. You moved mountains to get them to where they are now and to get them through the difficulties. Now, as people listening will know who have neurodiverse children, 
you know, fantastic that they're Cambridge graduates, but sometimes Im the emotional intelligence is, um, you know, a little bit behind um, with all of this. And I think that's what's happened. Your children have got stuck. And it was, you know, to see someone come in and take their dad, who was their only source of love and support and affection when they were so young and so impressionable, um, it's just difficult. And clearly you have bent over backwards and maybe too much to compensate for this. So it's really going to be difficult for your wife. I mean, Donald, if ever there was anything that needed mediation, I think this is it. This is going to be your first Christmas and I can really feel that sadness in your letter. But... I mean, I'm sure you've tried writing to the girls in a rational way. I think the rationale on this is very important because I'm not sure they're dealing with the emotional element. But they must be sad too. Yes, they've got each other, but they don't have a mum and now they don't have a dad. And to give you an ultimatum, um, you know, when they're in their mid-twenties is a little bit juvenile and lacking in maturity. But as I say, neurodiverse children often have that in their lives, despite the Cambridge you know achievements fantastic so i would say write to them offer them say would you sit with me and do some mediation we you know we had so much together we've had such a trying time in our lives i love you both very dearly and i miss you terribly graham what do you think i mean it is this is the saddest thing isn't it it's just mm. and and just so frustrating because you kind of think this takes like a single conversation to sort out but of course that's hard it's hard because now you know it's kind of you know battle lines are drawn yeah. and and these girls because i guess because they're part of a unit and you know yes they had their dad but also they had each other they had each other and now they have kind of become the other side it's you know it's them against everyone else i don't know donald i mean yes you can write i i wonder if you ever had any help with the girls uh, growing up because of their issues? Did you ever, you know, use any services, anything? There must be support for you. There must be support for parents out there. And I know they're in their in their mid-twenties now, but look, we're, this is where we are. You need help. You need help. So don't be shy about asking for it. Don't feel any way, you know, that you failed because now you've got to look for help because you do need it. And your wife... You know, she's come to this party late and I think that's sort of part of the problem because she's got to be parachuted in and has doesn't know the history, none of that. And, you know, that's what's kind of upset the girls. But they've got to understand that, you know, you've given these girls everything and now you want some happiness and you want, you know, something for you. And I, I don't I, I know what you mean, Maria, but. I, I would say that doesn't take that much understanding. That doesn't take a huge amount of of empathy to, to get. I just think it needs to be explained properly. And maybe the person to explain it isn't you, Donald, or your wife. It's a third party. It's somebody else who can kind of talk these girls down because mm. they've obviously whipped themselves into a frenzy about this. Well, and, I think they've got to the stage, Graham, where they don't understand that emotions can coexist. There's a lot of love in all of our hearts. We can love one person and the girls 
equally or, you know, love the girls or whatever. But it's not an either or. You have enormous capacity for love and you want to love as many people who are important in your life, that is his wife and that is his daughters, in the same way. And they don't seem to be understanding that because for them, their dad has been removed from their lives. Not them, they haven't done it in their minds. It's the dad has been taken away by this woman. So and also, you know, Donald clearly has been bent over too far backwards, perhaps with the girls because he wanted to make up for the loss of mum. And so they have then taken that for granted and they are used to being the only ones. And suddenly that has changed. Yeah. But mid-twenties, they yes. should be. What and also change, do? change is always difficult. And, you know, I think Donald did an amazing job getting these through two girls through an enormous change in their early teens. And I think kind of Donald probably didn't see this one coming because he was so happy and kind of assumed the girls would be happy for him too. Um, mm. I guess I'm hoping uh, someone listening will yes, um, yeah. understand this. With 25-year-olds, you know, you're out of the system for children's therapy, etc. So yeah. somebody might be able to suggest something. I'm sure someone I'm someone will know. Now, responses part one. And my favourite responders today will be getting a bottle of Kopka Special Reserve Port. It's wine of Portugal, majority wood, the oldest port wine house. Perfect for Christmas, do you see? Uh, thank you very much for your responses to this. Uh, Rach in Starbridge says, uh, Donald, it's very likely that your daughters could be dealing with delayed grief from their mom leaving when they were so little. Your new wife may have triggered feelings from all those years ago. It sounds like they may need some therapy to navigate all the feelings that could be resurfacing now. However, only they can decide to take that route. In the meantime, focus on all the love you have with your new wife and trust that in time they will come to see the rock that you have always been for them. Just keep doing you. Solid advice, Rach. Thanks. Uh, Ashley in Litchfield. It's difficult not to take Donald's side in this matter. He's made sacrifices for his daughters at the most important times in their early lives. They fled the nest and now it's time for Donald to have loving companionship. Share with them the letter you have said, Graham and the lovely Maria. Tell them to listen to the responses on playback. If they can't comprehend they're in the wrong, then you've done all you can for now. And I have a funny feeling this might be just a waiting game, Donald. It might just be, you know, time for them to figure out what's going on here. Katie in London says, My mom died when I was a young teenager and my dad raised me. I always found it very difficult when he had a relationship and I had to spend extensive time with that woman. Not because they weren't nice, but because I never had a female presence growing up and I wasn't used to it. I'm sure it wasn't easy for your daughters to suddenly have that. They might feel they suddenly have this figure that they never had nor needed when growing up and so aren't able to deal with it well. I would try to look from that perspective and write to them to explain that you know it's a big change for them, but she isn't there to be their mother or to take anything away from your relationship with them, but rather to add to your life. And hopefully they will see that your relationship is for you and not to affect them. I'll tell you what, I'm going to give the Kopka Special Reserve Port, courtesy of Waitrose, to Rach in Starbridge. Thank you very much. Graham's Guide. Dear Graham and Maria, my wife and I have a very challenging 17-year-old daughter who has been very problematic since the age of five. Over the years, she's been to numerous therapists who eventually complete their treatment and can go no further. 
After so many years, it is finally taking a severe toll on the family, and especially the relationship with my wife. We've always been a team and have each other's back, but in the last couple of years, the issues at home have created so much tension that my wife and I argue more now. Not because we want to, but because we are so wound up already and everything makes us anxious and on edge. Our daughter shouts at us all the time for everything. She snoops around our belongings, takes things without asking and takes absolutely no responsibility for her actions. Trust me when I say this is a mere tip of the iceberg. Next week it's my wife's 50th birthday and all I have wanted to do is to take her on holiday. But we can't leave our daughter alone as she can't be trusted. Everything we do has to revolve around our daughter and it's exhausting. So next week my wife doesn't even want to be here and wants to go away for two days so she can have a peaceful birthday. I can't even go with her as someone has to stay here and babysit. She would leave if it wasn't for me because she does love me. But we are so depressed and desperate to find a way to deal with our daughter. We don't have family to help and we are completely alone with this. I wish there was somewhere we could take our daughter to get help. Harry from Stoke-on-Trent. Ah, Harry. Uh, I mean, listen, this frustrates me, this letter, Harry, so much. But it also makes me worry because... There are three people here who are just desperately, desperately unhappy. Now, I'm guessing that this you, this is your only child. Um, so tell me, I, the therapist that could go no further and had completed their treatment, what does that even mean? I mean, has your daughter been diagnosed with personality disorder or ADHD or any spectrum disorder? Because... I don't know how you've got to this place in 17, well, since the age of five. So, you know, in 15 years, this has been, I don't know where you are. Have you contacted, your daughter is in the catchment for young people. So you need desperately to contact CAMS, which is C-A-M-H-S, which stands for Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, because your daughter needs a diagnosis. You need to find out what is causing this behaviour. Is it a diagnosed um, illness or um, problem here? Um, or is it just that, I don't know, you know, there's two different treatments here because if if it's just being her ruling the roost and dominating your lives and causing mayhem because she can and playing you both like a violin then this is how have you got to this issue you cannot be in a situation where a 17 year old can't be left at home and you can't have a life and your wife and you can't go away and you have to do things desperately and you are completely alone with this you can't you're not alone that's the thing Stop, take a breath, me as well. You're not alone. There are places to help. You need to get a diagnosis for this. She needs to... She's desperately unhappy too. That's the problem. It's not just willfulness. There's an unhappiness here that perhaps hasn't been diagnosed or hasn't been understood. And your lives are being ruled by this. I mean, I wish... Oh, I wish I could say something better, Harry, but I, I just think you need to get help quickly graham sorry but well i it's so terrifying this letter i find because you know people want a baby everyone wants a child that would be so happy and people are looking <laughs> people are, as we talk people are looking in a cart going oh 
because mm. you you don't yeah, know really. you don't know what's coming and you know you know you say diagnose but it could just be you know some people are are just very difficult to get on with and whatever's happened in this upbringing from the age of 5 she's been acting up and they have sought help you know people are going well actually there's nothing we can't see anything you know that's that has a, is a condition this is just a difficult person this is a difficult human being and now they're in this awful situation they're 17 and, and harry what happens next because is this is this young woman is she in education is she going to get a levels is she going to university when when does this stop because at 17 if you can't what do you do? You can't trust. You can't trust your child to be left alone. And I know people who have, you know, similar situations where, you know, ostensibly there's nothing wrong. It's just, you know, they'll steal from you. They, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And that's a nightmare. Mm. And but nobody you know, wants to be unhappy, Graham. I mean, this is a hill I will die on. Nobody wants to be in a state of permanent unhappiness. And that is what seems to be the problem with your 17-year-old. So something needs to be done to get to the root of the problem. Where did this start? Why did it start? What was the trigger to make this... Uh, antagonistic behaviour, uh, unacceptable behaviour, if it's not something that's diagnosed. And I'm, I can't believe a therapist would say the, compl- the treatment is complete, there's nothing more we can do. That, that sounds negligent to me, because there's always something that can be done. It might cost a lot of money, it might take time and effort and cooperation, which it sounds like it's very difficult with a 17-year-old, but there is always something that can be done. I think Harry is just stuck. Their responses, part two. And again, my favourite We'll be getting a bottle of Kopka Special Reserve Port, courtesy of Waitrose Wine of Portugal, the oldest port wine house. Hello, Merry Christmas. Uh, Ian says, as Graham said, sometimes there isn't a diagnosis and it can just be a difficult person. The situation sounds exactly the same as when my daughter was 17. In the end, the situation became so bad that not long after her 18th birthday, we evicted my daughter, as neither my wife or me could live in such a hostile environment any longer. Seven years later... And we have a much happier relationship and even had an acknowledgement from my daughter that she was a nightmare when growing up. Eviction won't be the answer in every case, but it worked for us and gave my daughter the wake-up call she needed. An anonymous listener says, My younger daughter made our lives hell for many years. Self-harm, depression and all the nightmares that this brings. You have to keep making a nuisance of the GPs until she gets what she needs, what works. She's now 21. They found a medication that works, she's moved out, and we're super proud of her. And she has her life together, is going out with friends too. Quite the miracle. Well, I'm so pleased for you. And uh, Catherine says, I've listened to your second caller's uh, difficulty and feeling the desire to tell them that, very sadly, sometimes in my experience, there is nothing that can be done to help someone. I have a family member who has from childhood behaved in ways that are extremely hurtful to others, family included, and after decades and repeated events and doctors and therapists' appointments and treatments, nothing has ever helped. My advice is, with hearts full of love for your daughter, seek support for yourselves and do what you need to take care of yourself, whatever that means. Sometimes it's about accepting that we can't save other people, no matter how much that hurts and we want to. 
Oh dear. Uh, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Catherine. Um, I'm going to send the the reserve port to Ian. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, let's say hello to Trini Woodall. Hello. Morning, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. And yourself? I'm really well, actually. Cold, oh, but happy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. As are we all. Now, my first question, it's a silly one, but I need to know before we get on to talk about it. Are we calling the book Fearless or Fearless? Second, Fearless. Fearless. OK. Mm. And it's it's a it, it is a book full of advice and practical tips, but it's framed in terms of boosting your self-confidence. Is that right? I think it's just because I've made over a lot of women in my life, Graham, and it's always fear to an extent that holds us back. And I read this book when I was in a rehab in the 80s called Fear the Fear and Do It Anyway. And it was a really great book to just not be paralyzed by fear, but just keep going forward and learn as you go along. So I think that inspiration came from from the book that I read in the 80s. And the book, it, it's sort of, it, it's a very kind of, you know, it's it's a can-do sort of book. You set people practical challenges. What are some of the challenges you, you set in each chapter? It, I, well, I do the same at the end chapter because I, I love a manual, Graham. So I say, <laughs> ask yourself and challenge yourself. So we might be discussing instinct versus intuition. We might be discussing um, where you feel you are in your career, around finances. Um, So in the finance one, I do, you know, how much do you hide what you really spend? You know, how much do you write down everything you spend? You know, fear of financial insecurity. I've gone through different times in my life quite a lot. And so I went for a while to DA, Debtors Anonymous, and in it, I learned some tools that really help me. So in the Ask Yourself, it's just ask yourself how you feel around this subject and how much it worries you or doesn't. And then the challenges are around, you know, so for that one, the challenges for a week, write down every single thing you spend, however small it is on your phone, you know, whether it's 10p somewhere, and then just sort of put it into categories and work out what you feel comfortable with and what you don't. But sometimes having a view over everything is better than hiding from ourselves what we're doing. I've already learned something. I did not know there was an organization called Debtors Anonymous. I'd never heard of it. Yeah. Wow. Thank yeah. you very much. And um, so tell me this. Do you see this book as will people buy it for themselves? Because it's it sounded like it's an it maybe is a, a difficult gift to give someone because maybe you're going your well, life's, your life's in crisis. Your yeah, life's in I crisis. Think the, hard, no, the harder gift, I think, was what not to wear all those years ago because it was you were giving people books saying what not to wear and it was a real, you know, maybe a judgment on themselves. <laughs> but that's why it's gone. But this is about, I mean, I've, I've had, um, you know, I've done book signings around uh, different places and I was in Australia doing doing book signings there as well. And most people did love the title because it's it inspires them. And I, I do talk a lot about how can we fear less in our lives. So I think those people who probably know me or follow me get the title totally. And I would hope people who are a bit farther away, if they're given a book saying fearless, it's a it's a sense of what women might feel about another woman. Lots of people give it to their mother and their sister and their daughter. You know, there's a kind of, I get... I get piles of books of book signings and they're for different generations, which I love because I think we can go through every stage and and just for a while get a little bit stuck. 
And tell me this, have you changed, Trini? Because back in the day, you, I felt you had you had rules. There were, you know, things, that, that's right, that's wrong, this is good, that's bad. Are you more kind of forgiving and relaxed about everything now? So much. I think it's, I'm, I'm like a, I'm like a mature cheese. Um, I think <laughs> I, I do feel actually when women come up to me in the queue saying, I'm really mature. Can you help me please? And I go, you're not a bloody, excuse me. You're not a cheese. You know, it's the way they describe themselves. So how we describe ourselves is really important. I have definitely changed. And I think the biggest difference is I make suggestions and I sort of say, consider this in your life. And I've probably learned a little bit over the years, how to bring ideas to people so that they are, they're prepared to look at them and they they feel excited to look at them. And yeah. I think that's what this book is compared to the rules of before. And it's interesting because I I I didn't realise it. it is over 20 years since What Not To Wear came on the air. And, and there was you and then there was Gok Wan, How To Look Naked. It, what, what do you think caused that big flurry of those makeover shows back then? I think we had had the clothes show like 30 years ago and there was nothing for 10 years. Then Susanna and I did what not to wear. And I think it was just a time we were in. It was the 2001. We'd done a book before. We'd done a column for seven years of cool what not to wear. And it was taken from that. But I think things come in cycles. You know that you've had a quite a long career and, you know, we see things come in cycles. So so they evolve each time. And that moment was that sort of quite confrontative TV and Although every contributor we ever had on the show, I always felt really enjoyed her journey, even though it was edited like a really tough show. I um, I think people got something from it. But that, you know, how we dress now, there are definitely still certain rules. And I think that's where it's around colour. A lot of people come up to me and say, I don't know what colour I suit. And so I've done a whole thing on putting yourself into this category of colour, uh, depending on your skin, hair and eye. And then it makes it much easier for people to go shopping, look at their wardrobe and just know if I know these are the colours I really suit that make my skin, hair and eye look great. I can just then it makes the choice less. And sometimes we when we have too much choice, we, we have a paradox choice and we're paralysed by it. And it makes us doubt what we know. So I try and take away too many choices. And earlier, Adrina, I described you as a guru and I didn't know how right I was. You have your actual kind of followers, the Trini Tribers. How do they meet? What's what's the community there? What's the gin? Um, they started before I started Trini London and it was started by a woman in Northwest England called Kelly. And she followed me on Instagram. I had like 60,000 followers. And I've been to see Facebook and they'd said to me, just put up your phone and start chatting. So I just started chatting. And so these women, you know, started these um, fan pages and then they start they started taking little bits of our logo and pictures of me. And it was very, you know, all mushrooming around. So we came and said, look, why don't we just give you the title ambassadors and um, well, you can, you know, they call it the Trini tribe. So now we have 34 Trini tribes in 17 countries around the world. Wow. And yeah, and they all are unbelievably uplifting women for each other. They talk about everything. You know, they the focus is probably what I start conversations on on my own channel. They talk about stuff to do with my makeup and skincare brand. They talk about clothes. They talk about styles. But they are so incredible. And you have a lot of women who join it and they maybe put a picture up Graham for the first time it's e the first time they ever post a picture of themselves and that takes a lot when you're feeling uncomfortable about your body and then yeah. you'll have a you know, hundred comments of women saying you look incredible how wonderful that color's amazing on you and it's a very very positive um uh group on on Facebook it's amazing 
But know. so there's that, and I know you've cleverly kind of included them in the book. And do they also feed into? Because I know your YouTube channel has really taken off. It's huge now. YouTube channel, yeah, it is. It's YouTube channel was sort of an accident. Well, not an accident, but I had these films that I did that were really long on Facebook and Instagram. People said you can't do films that long. You know, I waffled on for forty five minutes. So we put them on YouTube. <laughs> And they kind of grew from there. And then I started doing a show called the Trinity Takeover Show. And you know how much technology evolves. So I did this show, which was, it's like a what not to wear, but I do it in a day. We spend about a thousand pounds making the show. We use three iPhones. We go in stores. We have a contributor. We have the family come at the end of the day. We have a reveal. And it's fantastic because we own the edit, you know. It's amazing to make a show where you want to make the show you want to make. And we put them on YouTube as well. So um, there's about three seasons now. And uh, and I love it for that. It it's is like, amazing. Right. I'm, I met someone from uh, ITV News and she films her reports on a phone. I mean, it's, and that yeah. goes on telly and we don't know. Yeah. We think it's a camera. It's amazing. Oh, um, yes, that is amazing. It, here's the thing. I'm learning so much from you today, Trini. So I knew, I knew you had a skincare brand, uh, Trini London, but I didn't realize how enormous it is. Again, it's really taken off, hasn't it? It, it has. I started five years ago. I had the idea 10 years ago when I was, I'd stopped being flavor of the month in England. You know, we go through cycles and Suzanne yeah. and I were like, oh, not them now, please. And so we took a tiny show to MIPCOM in um, Europe and we had about 12 countries say we want to make sure and I thought they wanted to buy the format but they said come to these countries so we went to Poland Israel Australia Scandinavia India a ton of countries and made the show and what I discovered there is how many women when you're making them over the way they can acknowledge how they're moving forward is by seeing makeup first it's the easiest way to see a change in yourself before a lot of women have body dysmorphia and they might be uncomfortable around their body shape so to see them in very different clothes it's hard so I thought that's what I'm going to start with and I had the idea when I was traveling around but I launched it five years ago and now we have a million customers in 180 countries and um and I'm the CEO of a business with 220 people in it get you Trini yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's my also, main day job, Graham. Everything else is like writing this book was a weekend, a weekend job. But it took a lot of, you know, I mean, I've been through a lot of stuff in my life. And, you know, I've had highs and lows and I've had to really learn through mistakes. And I've had to pick myself up again and think, OK, what am I going to do now? Um, and I think that is also what's in the book. I was going to say, I mean, that journey kind of gives readers confidence. They kind of go, well, look at her now. Yeah, it is. Because some people can put you in a hole of what they think you are. And then you can just peel off a few layers and you realise there's a bit more to it, perhaps. Well, listen, congratulations on all your success. Uh, Fearless is the name of the book. It is out in hardback now. Always a pleasure to chat, Trini. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Take care. Still to come, Talk Sports new kid on the block, Jeff Stelling. But first, I smell some Christmas baked goods. That can mean only one thing. Hello, Martha. Hello. Merry Christmas. Do you know what I think? Merry it, Christmas, Dad. Yes, Merry yes. Christmas to you. Yeah, I think doing. it is a bit of a reflection of what's on the trolley because it's definitely not the healthiest thing I've ever made, but <laughs> sweet, sticky, and delicious. <laughs> oh, a lovely, happy Sunday to you. What have you made for us? So, today on the trolley is sticky cardamom Christmas buns. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> they look, I mean, it's big. This is, this is this is this is a hunk of, a hunk of burning bun. Uh. 
They are hefty. They are hefty buns. But I feel like on a wintry morning, if this is this is a breakfasty dish, so you are wanting something that's going to you know fill you up, set you out ready for a slightly rainy or frosty walk out in the out in the cold. Yes, I, I, you could do quite a long dog walk after one of these, I think. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, or have it as the reward when you get home. Oh, that would be good. They work as breakfast, but they also would make a really good kind of like 11 seeds. It's based on a Danish Brunsviga bread, which is classically had on a Sunday morning with a coffee. It's kind of like a coffee and coffee and bun kind of situation. Okay. And uh, what happens if you try to heat them up? Does, does that work? Or do, is it bake once and then leave it alone? No, you can absolutely heat them up. Just cover cover your whole tray with a bit of um, tin foil and you can stick them back in a low oven, warm them through. And yeah, they're a great recipe. It comes from a feature about kind of Christmas Day breakfast in the Waitrose Food magazine for December. Because sometimes it's quite hard to know what to have on Christmas Day for your breakfast. You know what's coming for lunch, but people kind of get a bit panicked. Oh, what am I going to make for breakfast? Is it going to be croissant? It's going to be salmon. But this is a really lovely option. You do all the prep the day before. So Christmas Eve, you make your dough and then the next morning you just have to wake up, finish it off, which I'll reveal later, and then it's ready to eat. And this is, I would call this sharing bread, because <laughs> it, because it's not like individual buns. No, so it's like one big, it's basically a sweet focaccia, is kind of, I'm not sure how the Danes will feel about me rebranding their bread as a sweet focaccia, <laughs> but the way that you kind of put the um, lovely sticky filling in is by dimpling the dough as if you're making a focaccia, but it's this lovely sweet cardamom infused bread instead of the olive oil from Italy, but... It's got some similarity. Uh, take it away, young lady. So we're going to start with our dough. If you've got a stand mixer, this is a recipe that it's worth getting it out for because it's a very sticky dough, which is what makes it so soft and unctuous. But you need like a, a, a fairly good mixer or some very strong arms and somebody to clean your work surfaces afterwards. But we're going to start by mel melting butter in a saucepan and then we're adding to that some milk and an egg once it's cooled down a little bit. Then into another bowl, we have got our flour and our ground card. So for this, you need to take the little cardamom pods, depop them and get rid of that peppery outside. That is not what we want going in. And then okay. use a pestle and mortar or a spice grinder to grind up those seeds. It's really lovely to see something like cardamom getting a look in because I feel like Christmas is a bit dominated by cinnamon and ginger and all of these big spices. But cardamom's got such a lovely, gentle kind of florality to it. So it's nice to mm. see it getting a moment. So they all go into your bowl. We're making our dough with that warm milk. We've got some yeast going in there as well and some sugar. Mix it until you get this lovely sticky dough. Then you want to knead it for five to seven minutes until it is nice and sticky and smooth. That gets covered with a tea towel or a shower cap if you've stolen one from a hotel recently, which I often do because <laughs> they fit over that bowl just perfectly. Lovely. <laughs> Set that to one side, leave it to double. And then you want to line a 20 by 30 centimetre rectangular tin with some baking parchment Tip your kind of risen dough into that, spread it out right to the edges and then cover it. And then this goes into the fridge overnight. So this is kind of your day before Christmas, your Christmas Eve evening. You've made your dough, you've put it into the tin, then into the fridge. And then in the morning you wake up, you want to get your dough out, preheat your oven. And whilst the oven is preheating, you want to dimple your dough. So take your thumb or the end of a wooden spoon and literally get all over the top of it, make little tiny holes all over the top. Then we are boiling together some dark brown sugar, some butter and some vanilla to make this lovely sticky syrup that we're pouring all over the top and it will fall into those little holes. Then the whole thing goes into the oven for about 20 to 25 minutes until it's bubbling and it's cooked through. Leave it to cool in the tin and then slice it up so the bit in the morning is quick and easy and you get you're rewarded with this syrupy, cardamomy, pillowy bread. 
which everyone will be very pleased with. Delicious, and have finger bowls and napkins (laughs) 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 available, because uh, emphasis on the sticky. Very sticky, and definitely coffee. You need a coffee, something bitter with this, something bitter (laughs) like a coffee will go very nicely. It is absolutely delicious. And actually, you made it very, very simple because when you hear the word yeast, I immediately go, oh, I really haven't bothered. But no, you made that sound doable. I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Good, good. Uh, right. If you'd like to know how to make that, if you want the full recipe, just go to waitrose.com slash showchef and you can find that recipe and all of Martha's recipes. You could also feast your eyes, feast your eyes on the lovely cardamom rolls uh, on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Uh, Martha, thank you so much. Have a lovely week. I'll You're talk to you next week. You're very welcome. See you next week. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you will be aware of the phenomenal success of Talk Sport. Talk Sport, it's the biggest sports radio network in the world. And tomorrow morning, a regular breakfast host, Ali McCoist, is joined by football pundit legend Jeff Stelling and he joins us now. Hi Jeff. Hi Graham. how are you doing? I'm very well. Uh, so this is a big change for you. Uh, you kick off, you're on air at six o'clock. What time is getting up now? Whoa, <laughs> probably the first couple of days anywhere around 4.30. Look, Alan Brazil's got it honed perfectly. He arrives at the studio at five to six. Now, I don't think I can quite get away with that. Not yet anyway. So um, the way I look at it, Graham, is 4.30, it's only a number. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Jeff. Let's look at it like that. (laughs) Yeah. What time are you going to bed tonight? um, You know, I I don't think I'll sleep because I've got so much nervous excitement at the moment. So it's going to be a pretty normal night, you know. Um, I've got to do a bit of research by watching Match of the Day, see what's happened in today's games. Um, so it, it's probably going to be a fairly normal time. You know, I've done breakfast uh, before, many years ago, at Sky News. I used to present the sports bulletins there. And um, that, uh, that shift didn't finish till half past two. In the afternoon, so it was a long shift. You know, you, wow. you had to be there by half past five in the morning, finish at half past two. So I used to go to bed in the afternoons to, to live a sort of relatively normal life in the evenings. Well, that was great, but I lived in a, a basement flat and my, my alarm was set for half past four every day. I remember being in bed and waking up one day and I looked at the clock. Oh my goodness, it's 5.30, I've missed the alarm. Panic, 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 what am I going to do? Ring the office, get in the shower first. And I'm standing in the shower with the water trickling down on my head when suddenly it dawned on me that it was half past five in the evening and not <laughs> in the morning. Because it's so disorientating. And so you, so you started on radio, I think, but like years ago, back in the 70s. Yeah, I, I started as a local newspaper reporter and then I moved to independent local radio because they were the sort of embryonic days of local radio. And I'd never worked in radio before, but that didn't matter then because most people hadn't either. You know, you didn't have to have any experience. So I was really fortunate to, um, you know, to get into radio in that way. And I started as a news reporter and, and by chance, I hadn't, hadn't been on the air, Graham, um, when on the first Saturday that I'd been there, I'd been at the station for five days, I got a message from my boss saying, you know, the, the Middlesbrough football report has been taken ill. Go to Welland Road and report on Leeds against Middlesbrough, which was a top division game at the time, a bit of a local derby as well. 
Um, yeah. And I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a Scooby-Doo, but I got through it. And I went into work on the Monday and he said, you are no longer a news reporter. You are now a sports reporter. And it, it, it changed my life. Well, I mean, that's one of those real sliding door moments. And when do you, when do you stop being a reporter and when do you start becoming a pundit? How does that happen? Well, I've never regarded myself as a pundit because, you know, I, I'm there with a team of pundits and I'm not really meant to give my opinion, but on Gillette Soccer Saturday, anybody who's watched it will know that I'm <laughs> a real opinionated little so-and-so, you know? I just can't hold it in. Um so, you know, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough. I got some, as you know, Graham, need some lucky breaks along the line. I got some some lucky breaks. And um, and when this when Gillette Stop the Saturday came around, you know, the idea was that there'd be four, a football show with no football, just four people telling you what you were missing. There wasn't a queue around the block for the presenter's <laughs> job for that because nobody <laughs> thought it would work, you know, so... I was at the front and the back of the queue. I was the only one in the queue, got the job, and it was it, it was a lucky break. And it's weird, because you wouldn't think, like, sport would work on the radio, but, like, as I was saying in the intro there, talk sport is huge. It's just massive. Yeah, it, it, it's brilliant. You know, I mean, it's a cliche to say, but you go to your local pub, people are talking about sport. A lot of people are talking about football, you, you know, cricket, boxing, whatever it, whatever it is. You know, you're in your car. People love to listen to people like Ali McCoy and Alan Brazil, you know, Ray Parler, you're talking about the weekend's football, the weekend's sports. And, and you know, it, I mean, it, of course it's a sports radio station, but um, you get a bit of everything in there as well, from um, Alan's political viewpoint, you know, through to what Ali's been up to at the weekend. Uh, well, the, the bits that he's allowed to say anyway. Um, <laughs> I think that the whole idea of it is, and, and I'm not an expert at six o'clock in the morning, but I've been in a couple of times to see it go out. My impression was that at that time of day, everybody walks around with a long face, dreading what's to come, you know, for the rest of the day, wishing they were back in their beds. So the idea is to try and put a smile on their face. And I, I think over the years, you know, talk sports managed to do that. And right here, I hope I can carry on in that vein. You know, I'm not the one who suddenly wipes a smile off people's faces. Well, if you're a safe hands with Alan McCoy, are they trusting you with buttons, Jeff, or are you just sitting on your hands? I'm hoping I'm sitting on my hands, you know. I'm, <laughs> I'm a real I'm a real technophobe. If they trust me with buttons, there are going to be some long, wrong buttons pressed, which might be interesting in fairness, you know. That might bring a smile to people's faces. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost tempted, almost tempted to set my alarm for 6am to hear how you sound tomorrow morning, Jeff. Uh, good luck with it all. Uh, you just do Mondays and Tuesdays, though. You're not a fool. You're only doing the two mornings a week. Uh, absolutely. Look, most people will give their right arm for a two-day working week. That's the way I look at it. Think of how glorious it's going to be to lie in bed on Wednesday morning. It's, uh, I'm, 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 I might be a bit of a masochist, but I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, listen, so are we. Jeff, good luck with it all. Uh, talk Thank sport. You, you, can to, you can listen to it on the app, online, your smart speaker, on DAB Digital Radio and on 1089 or 1053 AM. Take care, Jeff. Enjoy the rest of your lazy Sunday. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Sleep well. Bye. I will. Bye. <laughs> 
Thanks so much for listening today. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio. Follow us on all our socials to keep up to date and make sure you check out our YouTube channel too. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK and you'll find loads of great interviews and live sessions. Until next time. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.